Hey everybody, I'm Todd Wyant and welcome to the Bridging the Gap podcast. You're invited to join my mission to embrace and share the innovations transforming the AEC, MEP and manufacturing industries. We are recording another bonus episode for you all. This time we have an official name for our bonus episode series and we're calling these the Innovation Briefs. And for that, I'm excited to welcome back our editor, Eric Daniel. Welcome back, Eric. Uh, great to be back on and great to have a fresh new name. That's right. That's right. We feel official now with these bonus episodes. So Eric, I came across a blog kind of thought piece from Walker Lockard, a customer success manager at Dato entitled Context Shopkeepers When the Cure Becomes the Curse. And with the headline like that, I had to stop and read it. Uh, so Walker does a, a great job of unpacking the, the struggle facing uh, construction technologists to make project document and information as accessible as possible to the field. And oftentimes that, that means hacking together some solutions or, or dashboards to, to make it work. The power of a construction technologist is they're able to tap into this creative problem solving ability that they have and create something brilliant that works for the field all the way to the executives and, and everyone in between. But the downside is that more often than not, these are pretty overly technical in nature and they end up being the only ones that can edit it or make any changes. And so they just become chained to their own creation as hmm. it starts to slowly take over their workflow and their workload. Um, so they've just become totally imprisoned <laughs> by their own monster that they created <laughs> yeah uh so he then goes on to unpack the role of what a context should be and he had a great description of it that he defined it as the human api which i just thought that, that was a really cool image that came to my mind with that and and then he goes on to say that it's it's one who champions the very idea of innovation which as a guy who has the podcast tagline, keep innovating. I, I love that. <laughs> There's other people, <laughs> let's champion innovation together. I thought it was great. Uh, so let me stop right there. I'm going to ask you the first question. How do you define the differences between innovativeness and innovation? Interesting. I feel like innovativeness is more, it's almost kind of up to public opinion. It almost seems like something you would say that this is really innovative and uh, it may uh, just depend on what a person has or has not seen before. And I feel like innovation is more of just a general, more of a definition of something completely new to a new sector, whether it's some new entry into a current technology or something completely new that I guess groups of people have never really seen before. And that was around innovation that groups of people have never seen the innovation, but mm -hmm. innovativeness is kind of the, the thought of the masses, so to speak. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So how Walker defines it is innovativeness is creating with the resources that you already have. So what came to my mind is the Apollo 13 illustration when mm. everything's going wrong and they throw out these random collection of objects <laughs> that you can make nothing with. And they say, all right, you got to figure out how to bring that spacecraft back home using 
these things that have no rhyme or reason to uh, build anything with. And they were able to do it. So they were innovative or mm. they were inventing uh, some new way to go about it with what they had available to them. The original square peg in a round hole. Exactly, exactly. And then innovation is applying the innovativeness for the benefit of the masses. So okay. an innovator takes what's invented and then makes it accessible to everybody. And I thought that was an interesting way to go about defining those two. If you have innovativeness without innovation, Walker's saying you become the shopkeeper. Because if you're an inventive, but you're not making it accessible, then you are the sole person that's responsible. And it's just going to bog you down. And it's going to divert resources away from new initiatives because you're going to be stuck having to create your, or maintain your own creation. So it got me thinking, what are some mindsets and some traits that make an innovator kind of take that next step from just you know, not, not settling into I'm being inventive here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to take that next step and be an innovator. What do you think are some of those traits of an innovator mindset? Good question. I think it could be a, quite a few things. Uh, it, it sounds like, you know, maybe in the case of Apollo 13, that innovativeness is born out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And someone else, maybe a product manager is, is seeing how a product's being used and how it's, it's user base is, is using it and all these different interactions and a new innovation there might be born out of, you know, either challenging the status quo or just seeing, you know, seizing an opportunity for something that would work better for even just one person. Hmm. So you mentioned that on the inventiveness side of things that oftentimes it's born out of a necessity that they have to figure out some problem. So they pull together their resources and they make it happen, make it work. Do you think that those kind of, of people that come up with the inventiveness may be too close to the creation that, that they did hmm. to take it to that next step of being an innovator to push it out to the masses? That's a, I, honestly, I think that's a great question because it might, it kind of seems like a lot of stuff that may be born out of necessity, it might end up being more like a band-aid or a quick fix. Mm -hmm. But I feel like people that have kind of an outside view of that, that, you know, whether it's a competitor or kind of an adjacent industry, once they, I feel like they've seen, you know, that original band-aid, you kind of have a different perspective on, oh, we could most certainly make this what even better. Mm -hmm. So what if you don't have the luxury of having uh, necessarily a, like an outside perspective or another party come in, you're kind of a one man band and you have to put on the inventive hat and the innovator hat. How do you take a step back and then come back to what you create it later and go, Oh, here's how we can democratize support and maintenance more. Seems like you need other people. Some, somehow you have to share it or offload it to someone else or, or figure out how it can fit into your organization without 
taking all of your time. Uh-huh. So find those people and those resources to form your, your kitchen cabinet and bounce yeah. ideas off of. Yeah. And in some way, f- finding a way to integrate it with whatever else you've built, whether that's people or products. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that's interesting. I, I'm a big believer and supportive in peer groups and being able to, to have those groups of people that are in similar situations and bounce ideas off of each other. So maybe if you're a one man band and you don't have a lot of those internal resources to that know uh, what the solution really like that's able to understand the, the technical aspect of it. Maybe having those peer groups is a great way to go about that, that you can bounce the ideas off of somebody that is in your shoes, but it's just in a different space or, you know, different region, not a competitor. Uh, and they're able to bring in fresh eyes and perspective. Do you think people are generally hesitant or accepting of peer groups? I think it's a personality thing. I think that there's some people that are really open, willing to share and hear different ideas. And then there's other people that are going to hold it closer to the vest. Hmm. Uh, Maybe it, it comes along with the innovator mentality that people that are innovators are maybe typically more willing to hear different ideas because it's not as threatening, I guess, to hear somebody else's perspective because they can go, Oh, that's a great idea. I can do this with it. Uh, so so almost, kind of, almost kind of more protective of, are you saying more protective of trade secrets? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. The, I think the non innovator mindset is probably going to fall into more protective where the innovator mindset is like, yeah, sure. Let's talk about it. Let's bounce ideas off each other. Let's brainstorm. I think an innovator loves brainstorming no matter who it's with. Cause you can always learn something. You're, you're not the, the smartest person in the room. And if you, you think you are, you're, you're definitely not. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I think that an innovator is always willing to, to learn. The Bridging the Gap podcast is brought to you by Applied Software. With solutions for the modern project, Applied Software is on a mission to transform industries by empowering clients and championing innovation with real-world expert consultants. Their comprehensive array of solutions for AEC, MEP, and manufacturing has a singular focus, helping you achieve higher performance. With software, training, support, consulting, and custom development, Applied Software has you covered. Visit asti.com and let them know we sent you. So do you think that the innovator mindset is something that you are born with or can you learn to be an innovator? It comes naturally to some and not, and is more learned for others. Mm -hmm. I think for me personally, going through high school and college and grad school and everything, a couple of key, almost just single class periods focused on design thinking, I felt like really changed up how I tackled problems. So maybe I fit more in kind of a learned type of development, but I think it's definitely a little bit of both. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I think naturally I am a really good, inventor uh, on the 
uh, inventiveness side of things that I, I can take a bunch of things going back to the Apollo 13 analogy. I, I can take some random collection of things and see how I can stitch them together to make something. I think I've had to learn as roles have shifted and responsibilities have grown, how to be able to democratize that out and not be the uh, shopkeeper and be able to empower others to utilize <laughs> these different resources too. And so, yeah, I, I think you can grow in that. I, I think you have to, you have to want to grow in that area. And then it has to almost come out of a, a need and a necessity as well too, that you just can't do it all. So you got to learn how to take that and give it to other people and, and give it away. And then you really start seeing this exponential growth effect start happening once other people start becoming involved in it and it becomes a snowball of inventiveness and innovation that just mm. keeps spiraling down because spiraling in a good way <laughs> of people are having their input in it. And so you're getting the best of all these different ideas. And when you reach that place, I think that's a really cool spot. In our current moment, why would being somebody that specializes in innovation and not just inventiveness be crucial? I think it's purely just taking current circumstances and bending the, the needs of, or I guess the requirements of products and services towards what people need and the world needs. I think sometimes more than others, you have to change your, your products and strategies uh, mm. more than you would, than you might like, but it's, it's ultimately going to fit you know, your customer better. Mm. Yeah. I think it's crucial to remain nimble, especially in, in times of disruption and, and change. Mm. You got to stay on your toes and yeah. be willing to make changes quickly in order to adapt to the environment on the ground, especially right now when there's so many things changing, there's so many things unknown. You have to keep that innovative mindset of all right, this might not be exactly how I planned it, but let's change it up on the fly and let's go with it and then be willing to, to change again. If something affects uh, change or look differently. Absolutely. Well, cool. Well, that, that was my article uh, all about innovation. What articles do you have? Okay. I was getting an ad for macaroni and cheese on my article. Hold on. <laughs> was it a very cheesy one? That would be delicious. Uh, yes, this is a very big close-up of very stringy and baked Perfect. cheese yumminess. That's the way it should be. It's called, it's, on, it's from Wired. It's called How a Real Dog Taught a Robot Dog to Walk. Okay. You got me and, on the hook. <laughs> have you seen that arguably creepy yet oddly charming little yellow Boston Dynamics robot that walks oh, like yeah. a dog? Oh yeah. It's pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I love the style of the article article because it's not, it's not poking fun at programmers, but the, the tone of the article is saying who needs all that pesky coding when you can just show videos of dogs to a robot and it learns how to walk like a dog. <laughs> nice. And I, I thought like that's when the robots take over though. When you can make it that easy, you got to be careful. Time will tell. <laughs> <laughs> um, but 
I thought this kind of tied into the innovativeness that you were just talking about. I thought this was just a, an, a, a great example of a very simple thing that can lead to big changes. Google researchers fed public access videos of dogs to this Boston Dynamics robot to make it walk better. How many videos did they get into that? Like, is it two videos and they get it or is it they put in thousands? I'm going to say, let's see. It looks like all that were available on public access. So, a lot. so that's probably a whole lot more than thousands. <laughs> Just rough estimates. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. My question to you is, if you could do something similar to this to make your everyday life easier, what would you do? Of feeding videos to a robot to do my if work for me? let uh, Alexa listen to a newscaster, if you could tell your smart teapot to listen to the sound of the kettle boiling, I don't know. What, what would you do? Nice. You're, you're trying to, to woo me over with the, my, my tea, huh? As a tea fanatic. <laughs> uh, uh, the first thing that came to my mind, especially while we're all in quarantine, is the ridiculous amount of dishes and laundry that are just never ending. It's ridiculous. Uh, it's so ridiculous that I've said it three times now in the last 10 seconds, <laughs> especially with three little kids all in the house. So I would program a robot to do the dishes for me, but they would have to probably video somebody else besides me because I'm admittedly not the best at doing dishes to begin with. So maybe that's why this is a big issue for me. <laughs> this would be my birthday gift to my wife that somebody okay. would come in <laughs> and do the dishes. Uh, that, that would be the big innovative. <laughs> okay. I, I like it. I'm trying to think what I would do. It, it Honestly, it would probably be how to fill up a little robot how to fill up a watering can and how much water to put in each of my plants without uh, ruining the hardwood floor. That's a pretty good one. Though I feel like there's some satisfaction with dumping the watering can on a plant and seeing the dirt turn. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of I kind of like that. Maybe I'm a weirdo, but <laughs> let's zoom out okay. and look at this almost kind of twofold both with a lot more people being home and with the rise in a lot of prefab and people being taken more and more off of the job site, how could similar technology be used to help people learn in roles in remote construction? Well, I think a lot of that stuff already does exist. It's just getting the adoption higher. I mean, that's essentially prefab there and all the offsite construction tools that you already have it your your fingertips um it's something like eight or nine percent maybe ten percent of jobs are being prefabbed right now so i i think that this moment where you can't really be in big crowds and you have to safety is such a big concern more than just the the normal uh, hugeness of, of safety on a job site you have the health 
aspect going into safety now that this is the time where we can see that eight, nine, 10% of prefab really exponentially grow. And you can bring in technology, whether it's, you know, routing the conduit the right way or doing spooling, you know, you can, there's a lot of really cool things that you can, you can do with prefab. Um, so yeah, I, I think now's the moment for people to do prefab more and better and with greater efficiency. Yeah. How do you think the increase in number of jobs going to prefab is going to affect the labor shortage? Well, I think it is a necessity to help solve the, the labor shortage, especially with just a mind boggling rise in unemployment going on right now due to the economy basically shutting down and it parting. I think moving to prefab is just to me is a no brainer to help solve the, the labor shortage because you're helping with the efficiency gap there. So you're able to do more work with the same amount of people. So that's going to shrink the amount that you have to go out and, and find new roles for because you, there's just that efficiency is going to be huge. That's basically my article. Cool. Well, your article made me think of a very important question. And Ooh. this is, this is like a character question. People will judge you based on how you answer this question. Have I built it up enough? Let's hear it. Would you shake a robot's hand? Yeah. Why? Uh, what about, let me clarify. <laughs> what about if it's a robot with the, one of those creepy faces, like human faces, the, would that change your answer? Weirdly, I might be more likely to. If it was extending its hand, I might be more likely to, so I could just say, I shook this creepy robot's hand today. <laughs> Weirdly, there are tons and tons of studies that have shown that people are way nicer on with like chatbots and everything if they know they're talking to a robot versus a human instead of the other way around. So really? like if, if given the same situation, someone might be more likely to shake a strange robot's hand than a stranger's hand just because they know it's a robot and it, it can't really help the way that it is. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> All right. Good so to know. <laughs> how, how does that, how does that check out on my, my character then i wouldn't shake the robot too <laughs> if it had the creepy face <laughs> it would, nope. it, it seems to yeah just it kind of makes my it creeps me out <laughs> what if it was carrying a pizza i would what kind of pizza are we talking about here whatever you order whatever you want can i grab the pizza and just run away really quick Sure. <laughs> I would do that without actually shaking the robot's hand. There, there is a pizza place near my house where when you order, a robot will come bring you your pizza, put it on the table. Nice. Well, and it was a happy robot like Jan from, Jane from the Jetsons, then maybe. But it looks like, it kind of looks like that, but it has... 10% more of the creepy face on it. Mm -mm. No, the creepy face really 
doesn't mesh with me. It's well, a little too close to like the robots are going to take over and <laughs> kill everything. <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, two of the robots didn't work when I went and the one that brought us our pizza had to be remote controlled and they uh, bumped into our table and ran over my foot. So. <laughs> nice. That's less impressive then. <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's not there yet. <laughs> one day, one day with the robots rule. Alrighty. Well, that's a, that's a way to end. We tackle all life's uh, existential questions here on these bonus episodes. I like it. Well, thank you for all of you who are still listening. <laughs> and if you're interested in learning any more, you can visit our sponsor, Applied Software at ASDI.com for more information. You can listen to this podcast anywhere by simply going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our website, bridgingthegappod.com. Until next time, I'm Todd Wyant, thanking you for joining us on the Bridging the Gap podcast. Keep innovating. Thanks for listening to the Bridging the Gap podcast. Please spread the word by giving us a five-star review and sharing with your friends and coworkers. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our other applied software podcast, The AEC Disruptors. Thanks for listening. Bridging the Gap is produced by Alyssa Chartier and edited by Eric Daniel. Bridging the Gap is an applied software production. Copyright Applied Software 2020.